0: This week, Bob said it, and I thought I'd tell you guys, because it's funny that Bob would say that. I am not a big fan when God changes my Sunday school lesson at 1130 at night, Saturday night. Um, Now, I say that God may, you know, he may say, I don't really care what you, I'm sure he does. (laughs) Let me say that, because I am joking, but... um, I had been studying this week, I've been out of town, I've been out in Kansas City and and out seeing our friends at Walmart in Bentonville, Uh, and uh, I was prepared to speak this morning on a subject that that really just needs more preparation, I felt last night as I was praying uh, that that I just need a little bit more prep time. So next week, bring your friends, bring your family if you can, we're going to talk on the famous Baptist uh, doctrine as people would call it, it's not a Baptist doctrine, but people say that. Once saved, always saved. Eternal security. And there's other names for it, right? Um, Some would say hogwash, you know, uh, depending on where you're at. Um, But we're going to talk about that and we're going to have a friendly conversation. And if anyone gets out of line, then we're not going to have a friendly conversation. (laughs) Um, So uh, as you know, most Baptists uh, ch- most Baptist churches, not all, and not all pastors, but most Baptist churches believe in eternal security as a doctrine of the Baptist church that we practice. But, of course, like I would say, I, I think it's a very important uh, subject to talk about, and I think that you need to know so that when you're told by other denominations that this is not true, um, that, that you can defend your, your, your belief in that. And so I hope you'll come and you'll bring some folks with you and uh, I hope I'll be prepared next week, and God will let me bring that. So this week, I got the curveball at eleven o'clock last night. So I got up real early this morning, and uh, I want hold your place in First John. We're going to come back to that. Let me just read this. You, you don't, you can turn there if you want. But First Corinthians one, which is just a couple books to the right, First Corinthians one twenty-seven. You, you'll know this verse um, twenty-seven through thirty-one says this. First Corinthians one twenty-seven through thirty-one says. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Don't you remember when you read that how Moses walked in? This just came to me, not in my notes. Moses walked in to the most powerful man in the world, right? Pharaoh. And literally, he didn't even want to speak. Took Aaron with him, right? God said, "Let my people go." He had a staff. He had been living out, uh, you know, outdoors. I'm sure. And Pharaoh had the finest of everything. I can just see him now, like the movies you see where they're fanning him, you know, and the finest things in the world. God used the weakest vessels, the weaker things. And I think this scripture, as I'll finish reading it, is just to say that God can use anything. And often does. He can use a donkey to talk. I mean, he can use a number of different things that are what the Bible would call base things. So hang in here with me. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, we elevate certain things and God not a word here, Bob. De-elevates them. You know what I'm saying. He can put to, he can put to shame those that are high and mighty. Um, I, I, I quoted this to my son yesterday. Um, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You ought to remember that scripture. I ought to remember that scripture. It used to be a Jewish saying, I'm told, that, that as the Jews would pass each other in the street, the Roman guards would be there That they would actually quote that scripture. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard. That literally the Jewish people would say, in my words, it's okay. God's got us. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we need to remember that. God is in the weak vessels. He is in the weak vessels. And so I wonder this morning, how many of you feel weak this morning? And when I say weak, how many of you feel insignificant? That God has... No plan for you that you know of and that you don't see. You're living life, but it's mundane. And you're living life and you just don't know, what impact am I having? Maybe you've even gone so far as to say, I'm having no impact. And I don't see, I'm 40, 50, 30, whatever your age is. And I don't see anything that God has laid before me and ironed out and said, here's the plan. The apostles were the base things. From what I read, however, inside the apostles, there were superstars that we know of. Who's the first apostle you think of when I say apostles? Peter. Right. Peter's got the most dynamic of stories. He denies Christ. And then he goes on. I'm covering his highlights, right? Then he goes on. He's the leader. There's no doubt. I mean, he's a rough guy. How many of you saw the Bible series on the History Channel? What would you think of that rendition of Peter? Anybody see it? Y'all see it? What would you think? It kind of surprised me. Uh, I said Peter, Paul. I, I was going to say Paul because that was be my next guy. Because those two guys, and I, of course I know that Paul didn't walk with those guys. It was an after thing. He was a little, he was special. I mean, there was no doubt about that. But those two guys are the guys that I would have guessed you would have named. Kind of skipping ahead on myself. What would y'all think of Paul in that series? Did you see it? It's kind of interesting. Yeah, they did. And uh, there was definitely some things that were not as lined up with Scripture. But it was still a pretty good series. And it brought fame to Christ, which I love, you know, on national television. I sat in a hotel room with some guys that, uh, without going into detail with the children here this morning, that had had a good time at dinner, you know what I'm saying? And when we got back to the hotel, they were next door to me. And I was in a room with another gentleman that's a Christian. And we were watching... Uh, it was just, you know, they had replayed it and we were watching the History Channel and so we knocked on the door next door and said, hey man, turn it to channel, whatever it was, 41. And they sat there in a stupor without going into detail and watched it, you know? (laughs) I I mean, it was great, you know, they were watching Jesus die for their sins in in their stupor, you know? Uh, I say that. Um, They weren't crazy, but you know what I'm saying. It was was not what I would have liked it to be, but uh, at the same time, I thought it was interesting what Paul was, that how they portrayed Paul. I thought it was interesting. Uh, what did you think when they stoned Stephen, the young boy? Now, of course, I think that was a little bit out of, out of the biblical way that because I believe Paul was standing there and the people stoned Stephen, but that, that's neither here nor there. It was interesting to me how aggressive Paul was. And, you know, I think they got that part right. I think they made me really realize when I was watching it, if you didn't see it, you need to see it, Um, how aggressive he was and then how God humbled him, right? So back to my point, you would say Paul and you would say Peter. You might even say James and John, the inner circle. But I doubt you would say the guy that I want you to narrow in on this morning. So join me in John chapter one and let's talk about maybe where you're at today, how God uses the small things, Yes, even I would use this word, what you may define yourself as ordinary, ordinary. He uses you at work. He uses you at home. He uses you at church. You just might not recognize that he's using you. So let's, let's see who he uses here. Here's, here's a question I had to start and and I'll, and I'll fast forward a little bit here. You ever wondered why Jesus chose the few individuals he did that would become known as the apostles. You notice some of them were brothers They knew each other from this small town, men that would go on to change the world that God, his son would pour himself into for three years, you know, uh, and he would, he would literally use these guys to change the world. And you guys have heard that from me before. So what we're going to do is intently focus on a man that's not mentioned very many times in the Bible, uh, like Paul and John and James and, and certainly Peter, but he's still important. And he's a base guy, and he's an ordinary guy. Let's talk about Andrew, okay? Andrew, which I doubt very seriously. Many of you have done a study on Andrew. Maybe you have. But um, I want you to see what happens with Andrew here. And I've got a nickname for Andrew. And uh, I made it up, and I'm going to see if you think it fits. Um, let me read this first, and I'll introduce you my nickname to him. So maybe you'll remember him better. John chapter 1, verse 35 again the next day john stood with two of his disciples now this is john the baptist john chapter one john chapter one verse 35 does everybody got it just john just john john 1 35 again the next day john stood with two of his disciples That is to say, John the Baptist. Now, remember, let me give you the the history here or, or, or background. John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He is the introducer of Jesus. He's also, by the way, the cousin of Jesus. Okay? Miraculously, he is born. And if you remember reading about John the Baptist, I would say I believe from rendering and I think you would agree with me, and you're welcome not to, but John was unique in the fact that he had the Holy Spirit early, and when I say early, real early. You remember that scene where Mary comes into the, into, uh, the presence of Elizabeth to spend some time with Elizabeth, and the baby jumps in Elizabeth's uh, womb, and it says in the Bible, I didn't go back and study it, but I remember from teaching before that the Holy Spirit was with John, and he jumped. He jumped. In in her and that's so cool. Okay, so here's the scene: you got Jesus milling around somewhere over there, and John is probably preaching, teaching. Jesus is there on the side. Let's just say the side of the Jordan, right? That's the scene that you often see in the movies. And Jesus is there, but remember, Jesus hasn't come forth yet, like he will when his ministry starts. Y'all understand that he's a carpenter. People know who Jesus is. They know he's a good man. We know he taught in the synagogue at, what, 12? So he's special. But he hasn't yet stepped into his ministry, I would say. Let's just call it his ministry yet. So you've got two disciples that you're going to find out about right now. And they're followers. Y'all follow me now. They're followers of John the Baptist. John's preaching. And y'all know who John is. John is heavy, dude. I mean, he is... He's a little, he's a Johnny Hunt, right? I mean, he is like, you know, get down here and get baptized, repent, or you're going to hell kind of stuff, okay? Now, of course, he's introducing baptism, and he's introducing Jesus. He is, as the Bible says, preparing the way for Jesus. And now we are, we're sitting in the scene, we're there, and Jesus is walking on The shore of the river there. And John and his disciples, his followers, are there watching on John. Now watch what happens, okay? Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, there he is. Can you see him? He's got the two guys here and he almost points to Jesus. Jesus is over here in the crowd and he says this. Behold, the Lamb of God. Man, that's an introduction. The two disciples heard him speak and they what? Follow Jesus. Now, y'all, I mean, you really understand. I mean, that couldn't have been all that was said. It couldn't have been. So here's what I'm going to. I'm going to parenthetically tell you this. In my view, John has been teaching about Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. The Messiah's coming. Now. The Holy Spirit's in John. Whether John, there's arguments on that. Did John really know Jesus was going to step out like he would? Or was it there, Todd, that it was revealed to him? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I didn't study that. I don't know. It would probably be guesswork on my part. But something had to have been said before this. Because he didn't just say that sentence and they leave. If he's Johnny Hunt and Jim Law and Dan are there. And Johnny Hunt says, behold, the Lamb. And we had been previously taught, we would follow him. If we had not been previously taught, we'd probably go, what are you you talking about? It didn't say they said that. It says immediately they, 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 they followed him. So they went from John and they wandered off to Jesus. And now John's disciples are gone. That's what I read. Look at 36, 37, excuse me. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed jesus so they respected john enough to know he knew what he was talking about then jesus turned and seeing them following said this to them what do you seek now i just wonder and i gotta go here but i I just wonder if jesus said to you todd just out of nowhere what a question what do you seek you know how we say it today what do you want what do you want what are you talking about jesus i'm just coming to hear you preach no, but what do you want? Why are you following me? They said to him, Rabbi, that is to say teacher. Why are you, uh, excuse me, where are you staying? That's an interesting question. They, Paul, they'd just been asked, what do you seek to the two disciples? They were following John. Jesus certainly knew who they were. He knew the introduction was coming. He knew the 12 were going to be picked. He knew everything. He knew he was going to cross, all that. He knew where we would spend eternity. So we understand that. But in human flesh, he says, as the son of God, what do you seek? And then they answer very interesting to me. Where are you staying? <laughs> now, what? Where are you staying? You know what they were saying? Translation, because I've read it. You know what they were saying? Hey, we got some things to ask you. I mean, we need some time. Hey, Johnny, uh, a, a handshake, Blake, shake my hand. A handshake down front with Johnny. That's not going to be enough. Johnny, um, would you come have lunch with me and then come on over to the house? That's, that's what, Todd, that's what I think they were asking. That's what we Southerners would say. Can we have a glass of tea or a cup of coffee? Because, man, I, you ask what I seek, and I got some, I got some questions to answer you. Because John over here says you are the man. You are the lamb i got some questions. Now, I'm reading into that. They didn't say that, but that's what I hear them saying uh, in, in, in my study of the Bible. Verse uh, 39, he said to them, come and see. See, he expected it. Come and see. Come on. Come, come, Come with me. They came and saw where he was staying and very carefully reading this part and remained with him that day. Now, by the way, one of these guys is Andrew. So what that scripture just told me is very short talk. They must have known the Messiah was coming. They knew who the Messiah was. And John gives them a clue and said, there he is. Now, did he have a halo glow around him? I don't know. Did he have Shekinah glory? I don't know. But all I know is they believed John and they went and followed him. And Jesus said, why don't you come on with me? And I envision whether it's true or not that Jesus already had a crowd around him because he had started talking and, and And when Jesus starts talking, people start following whether they agreed with him or not. And this group's just going down the road. And wherever they ended up, these two disciples got an inroad and got to sit down with the Savior for a day. And I imagine that, Mark, they just, here comes the questions, right? And there was conversation. And, you know, Jesus doesn't waste any time. We know he goes into a house. The whole household gets saved. I mean, if he's there, he's healing. So they got to see the Messiah at an early age. Now, you might have thought if you had not read your Bible, well, that would be for Peter and Paul. That would be for the stars, the rock stars of the apostles, the inner circle. No, no, no. Andrew. Andrew. And let me shortcut this and tell you where I'm going. Andrew, his nickname that I've nicknamed him. Anybody read any of Andy Andrews? And that's that's not on purpose I did that with Andrew, but that's kind of cool. I just thought of that now. Anybody read any of Andy Andrews' books since he's been here or before? Anybody ever read The Noticer? Anybody else? Awesome, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you haven't, I'm not a reader. I mean, I, I read for Sunday school class, and that's, I mean, it's like pulling teeth. I do not read anything else, Mark. It, uh, I mean, I got too much going on. But Andy Andrews, and I'm giving you a commercial for him. He's a Southern writer, and I really like his books. I mean, I've read the 11, Why 11 Million People book uh, that you saw Johnny introduce, The Butterfly Effect. You can read those in 45 or 50 minutes, or if you're slow like me, an hour. Um, I just got through reading The Noticer, and I've started uh, the next book, uh, in The Heart Mender, I think it is, uh, The Traveler's Gift, I've read. But here's The Noticer is about the guy that he told us about in our service. Jones, right? Not Mr. Jones, but Jones. And I, and you haven't read it. You need to read it. He never, that's what I love about him. He never tells you. And he didn't hear either, Todd. He did not tell us who he thought Jones really was. I get the idea from reading the book, just my imagination that he thinks Jones was an angel. That's, that. that's, I mean, he told us in the service what all Jones did for him, but he never said anything. Well, you read the book, you find out this man Jones and, and how he knew everything. And he would just come and go. And then he would go for years and then just appear back. It was the strangest thing, but it's a cool book. Read it, and it'll leave you wanting more. Why did I bring that up? He he titled it The Noticer because, and I know only one person's read this, so I'm talking over here. But he titled it The Noticer because Jones noticed everything. He taught Andy Andrews under a peer as a homeless man, and he got him to read 200 biographies of, of the United States and the world's greatest leaders. And now Andy Andrews has had like what, seven or eight bestsellers, changed people's lives, speaks to presidents. I mean, this is you read the book, you'll be like, wow, this is a strange thing that this guy, that this guy Jones did. And by the way, he finds out that he did it for the whole town, down there in the Orange Beach area. Um, everybody ends up knowing the guy, and the guy just disappears. There's no funeral, there's no nothing. He just leaves his satchel there. And it's a neat thing. And when they open the satchel, there's seeds in the satchel. Nothing valuable, but seeds. Where he's left seeds in their lives. It's. It's. You need to read it. Why did I bring that up? The noticer. I titled Andrew after Andy Andrews. I t- I stole it from him a little bit. I title Andrew the introducer. The introducer. I want to get back to 2013 here with you and I. Right now, you might be thinking, you're not going to say it in front of a group, and I know we have a very small group this morning, but you're still not going to say it here. You might be wondering, what does God have for me? You know, is God even using me? You know, yeah, I love church, I love God, but what is he doing with me? I mean, I'm just normal. Andrew was normal. He was the base thing. As I read about Andrew this morning and late last night, Andrew introduces people who end up making huge impact. Can I give you an example? Without reading all the scripture, and I'll get into a few of it here, And a- Andrew sees Jesus. Boy, wouldn't that be neat? Spends a whole day with Jesus. Can you imagine? I mean, he spent more than that. He walked with him, but I mean, he gets him for a day. Jesus allows it. And after that, and, I, and I'm kind of making this part up. It's in the scripture, how I view it. He goes running back to big brother. His brother's kind of a famous guy named Peter. He says, uh, Peter, I found him. Uh, found who? Uh, the Messiah, he's here. Uh, you need to come meet him. No delay. I'll read it to you in a second. Peter goes and meets him. By the way, this calling that you see here is not his official calling. He will be officially called, and you, know, you all know this one. They're mending their nets. Jesus says, come and follow me. And they leave their dad and these professional fishermen are on the way. So there was an introduction. I want you all to get that, kids. There was an introduction before Jesus said that. They knew who Jesus was. I mean, it would be like you knowing people at school. And then all of a sudden you started noticing, man, there was something really special about this guy. And then they were told he was the Messiah. And when he said, follow me, he was now officially calling them to ministry. That's not here what we just read. So uh, Andrew goes down and he tells his brother Peter. And Peter gets introduced to the Savior of the world. And man, Peter is all over Scripture. And becomes, as Jerry Vines, I believe I read once, Jerry Vines said about people that Jesus met, We've done the study of Peter in here. It's been several years ago. Jesus has a lot to say about Peter. Peter's very influential in the Bible, and we read about him literally preaching in 3,000 people, and thousands of people come to know him. We all know him. But very few times do we think of what Andrew did in the whole situation. Jerry Vine says this. Peter was a guy that had a lot of issues but did a lot for the Lord, and we put him up on a pedestal. He sprayed the audience, Right? Andrew took one bottle at a time and filled one bottle at a time up. And I think that's an interesting statement that maybe you're called to fill up a bottle. Philip. Maybe your job is not to spray the whole audience and be a, I say it jokingly, be a Johnny Hunt, be a rock star. Uh, you know, I say that, I'd say that, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I mean that in a, in a good way. Um, But not all of us are called to be that part of the body. Some of us are called to fill up a bottle at a time. And I I love that rendering because it makes me feel that I have a job to do and you have a job to do. And it may be the base things, as 1 Corinthians said. So let's read real quick because I I don't want this to be a long, uh, uh, drawn-out thing. But did you know that I call him the introducer not because he introduced only Peter, which was by the way, big enough. Uh, and I've talked in this classroom that someone introduced Billy Graham to the Lord. Someone introduced R.C. Sproul. Someone introduced Charles Stanley. Someone, you, you know what I'm saying? Someone that was filling one bottle at a time. And that's interesting to me because I think there's more one bottle at a time people than there are Rock stars of the Southern Baptist Convention, David Platts, and people like this. Which thank God for those people, but boy, we better have some one bottle fillers at a time. We better have some introducers. Let's let's read this real quick. Um, join me in uh, Matthew uh, for actually. Let's let's do this. Uh, look at one forty. I don't know if I read that. Uh, where we just were, John 140. And then we're going to skip around a couple of times and you'll see what I'm talking about as the introducer. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Notice how he's referred to. How would you feel? He was Andrew. What does it say after that? Simon Peter's son. Uh, Simon Peter's brother, right? Did you, you'll notice if you read scripture. Boy, don't, it, for those of you who had brothers and sisters, let me just see a show of hands. Don't give me any stories because I know they're here. How many of you were known as such-and-such's brother or such-and-such's sister? See, I see some hands. That just drives you crazy, doesn't it? I mean, uh, I was raised an only child, so I didn't have that. But, a boy, I had friends who were, you know, if this guy was good in football or this guy was a great student, it, oh, yeah, that's such-and-such's brother. You, you'd be in school, and uh, as an example, if Blake is Morgan's brother, and she is, and, and Morgan did great in school, the teachers would say, oh, yeah, B- Blake, that's Morgan's Brother, not not Blake, that, that's Morgan's brother, right? Well, that's what happens right here in the scripture. And I went and researched it. And doggone it, every place I read, poor guy was Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> Yet he introduced Simon Peter to Jesus. Then I went so far, and we won't have time, I went so far as where they named the apostles, Todd. And he's listed fourth. Who's the first three? Simon, Peter, James, and John. Oh, Andrew. That's what I was feeling. But there's something in this scripture that screams out to us that feel base things, that are lower things. Andrew was normal. I keep saying base. Normal. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him... We have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas. That is to say, a stone or a pebble. Translation. Okay, so that's one. Join me in Matthew 418. Matthew 4, I'm just going to give you a couple quick examples. Matthew 418. Y'all with me? All right, thank you. Matthew 4, 18 says this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew. But notice it didn't stop there. What does it say? His brother. Well, gosh, you already said his brother. I knew it was his brother before you got there. Poor Andrew. I'm taking up for Andrew. Of course, this is Holy Ghost-inspired, and I'm not really arguing with it, but um, it's just kind of funny how the writer's... So, you know what I'm noticing? I'm noticing that the guys who wrote this scripture thought of Andrew, not as Andrew, but as Peter's brother. Because Peter was so domineering in his (laughs) impetuous ways. You know, Peter's the first one out of the boat to run to Jesus. And he's the first one to sink too, right? He's the guy that I used to joke and y'all would laugh back in the early time of starting. He was the guy with the foot-shaped mouth. He stuck his foot in first and then realized he had done it. That was Peter. But it gave him this aura of being, man, Peter's the leader. He's the guy that says what's on his heart. But Andrew was in the quiet back. But notice with me in your mind's eye, a day where Jesus has already been introduced to his followers and his apostles are already lined up, Brian, and he's about to preach off of a mountaintop that you all would know and know the story because it's in all the Gospels. And Jesus says to Philip, you see this crowd coming? He can see off far away. Here's a crowd coming. Jesus has begun to heal people, and he is about to preach and speak. And he sees the crowd coming. And he knows, of course he knows everything, but he knows that they're going to be hungry, Mark, because all good Baptists are hungry. Evidently, Jewish people are that way too. And he says to Philip, "We need to feed these people." And Philip says, "We only have such and such in the box, and I don't remember the number, but it was enough. I do remember this. It was eight. It was uh, uh, it was not enough to feed the five thousand. And uh, it was a, actually a pretty good sum of money, but it wasn't enough to feed them. And Philip." Talks to Andrew, and Andrew says, "Let me introduce you to somebody. There's a lad over here, a little boy that is, that has enough that Jesus might be able to get her done." Now, I'm making that up. He didn't really say it that way. Um, uh, maybe this is a different translation, Todd. Uh, what's some of the new translations? What's that one that everybody really likes now? It's the. Uh, some of y'all read it. I know. Um, what's the translation? The message. Yeah, I'm in the message. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm the message too here, All right? Get her done, you know. Andrew says, I know this boy, and I envision in my mind that he knew where the boy was. Y- y'all know there's a bunch of people. But Andrew has what? He's listened. He's a good listener. Somehow, way, he's met this boy, and he knows enough that this boy has food, and he, watch this. He knows the Savior. And he knows Jesus is up to something. I got to believe that because that's not enough to feed 5,000 people. But he says, I know a boy and I know what's in his lunch pail. And he introduces, Jesus hears him. Take me to that lad or bring that lad to me. And he brings him and you know the rest of the story. See, you know, you know the miracle story. But did you really, truly, honestly know before I just said it that Andrew's the one that introduced him? He's the introducer. That's his job. He's been brought into the fold. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, What else do I got here? Here's what I have about Andrew. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. John identified Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Andrew knows who Jesus truly is. Andrew listened and faithfully followed. Andrew is a good listener. Andrew had one-on-one meeting with Jesus all day as you saw the Savior of the world. Andrew was searching for something. We didn't talk about that yet. He was searching for something yet to be discovered. You know how I know that? Because of the question Jesus asked him. What do you seek? Andrew was searching for something. He was looking. He had John the Baptist, but he was looking for something more. And Jesus gave him, Philip, what he wanted. And he became a follower, And when I say a follower, he followed him all the way to death, to martyr's death. We never have a story that I know of, unless you can prove me wrong, where Andrew preached. But I can tell you what, he introduced some pretty special people to Jesus. And I have a feeling that since he died as a martyr, he probably got under people's skin telling about Jesus. That's my feeling because he died for the cause. So Andrew was a martyr. Uh, what else did Andrew do here? Look with me. I had something else written down. Uh-uh. Look with me in John chapter 12. John 12. And we'll be done. We'll close out with this. Because my, my base of my message here is that if you feel like you're normal for Jesus, look at what Andrew did for the, for, for really for the world just in filling up one bottle at a time. That's the message. John chapter 12, 20 through 22. Now there were certain Greeks, we would say Gentiles. We are them, unless you're Jewish heritage. I think everybody's a Gentile probably in here. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. That is the Passover feast, right? Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda, of Galilee and ask him saying, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus, so you've got, you've got these people who 've come to Passover and they're Gentiles, but they 've heard about Jesus. most people would have heard about his miracles, and that 's why they wanted to come probably, but they heard about him neither neither here nor there. They ask Philip, we want an introduction to Jesus. Well, if you want an introduction to Jesus, immediately Philip thinks you need to meet the introducer now he didn't say that. But watch what he does. Andrew's not this highly touted guy in the scripture. But listen to what he says. Philip came and told who? Andrew. Verse 22. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told who? So we see Andrew. Andrew is not inner circle. His brother is. But Andrew has access to Jesus. I mean, immediately. He walks right into the presence of Jesus. Crowd's there. Walks up to Jesus. And Jesus listens to Andrew evidently he's talking preaching whatever he's doing maybe he's cutting a joke I don't know and Andrew walks in and I see Jesus this is my mind's eye maybe not yours I see Jesus he's talking to a group of people he's preaching whatever and Andrew master yeah hold on hold on folks yeah yeah Andrew hey um there's some some of the Gentiles are here to meet you uh, I can see Jesus yeah yeah uh, thank you Andrew I knew they were coming I'll be right with them tell Bob and Susie I'll be right over there And then he comes back over here, and and Andrew's probably like, "Well, how did he know Bob and Susie? And he's putting two and two together. But he is the introducer. Three times I've read you this morning. He didn't give this great sermon. But two of the stories, you might not have known that small one, but two of the stories you definitely knew. And all the stories, and I don't like to call them stories, the events that Simon Peter was involved in, Listen, guys, they don't happen without Andrew introducing Jesus to to Peter. Does that make sense? She's full of the Holy Ghost. She's saying amen. So the message is this Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That would have resonated with Andrew and, and Peter. They were fishermen. They would go on to get many examples of that. But I want you to see that Andrew was fishing one at a time, Brian, one at a time. Several of the disciples, the apostles, no doubt, were casting nets. And they were catching many. But Andrew had a unique calling, I think. And he was filling up one bottle at a time. One bottle at a time, steady as she went. And who knows how many more introductions he has. We don't know. I mean... It says, you know, the scripture says if we wrote everything about Jesus, we wouldn't have enough room in this world. I mean, he did so many things. Who knows what Andrew else did? We'll ask him when we get to heaven, maybe. But he was a soul winner. He was a soul winner. He was fishing for men and women, and he was introducing them one person at a time. So here's the thing. Do you find yourself average? I do. At times, I found myself average. At times, Philip, I see myself going through the same week at work, every week. Week in, week out. I find myself doing the same thing with these children. Week in and week out. Blake, hit a base hit today for me, okay, buddy? Um, Week in and week out. Same thing. And all of a sudden, I'm lost in the thought of, I'm here for, let's just make up a time. I'm here for, I don't want to go too far here, 80 years. You know, I'm not a 96 guy, I don't think. I'm probably not in a good mood at 96, I'm going to imagine. So I'll take 80, and uh, I've got half of my life left, about, a little less. And if I get 80, what am I here for, Paul? One bottle at a time. One bottle at a time. So just because you're average doesn't mean you don't have impact for God. Matter of fact, you may have great impact for God. Any questions? Comments? Thank you. I wanted to hang it for you. I did this instead of this. Yeah. Yes. So next week, if the Lord... St- If the Lord will allow it, and I feel that he allows it, I'm going to teach on something that I've never taught on, really. Of course, I've mentioned it over 17 years of teaching, but eternal security. Please don't bring books that argue against me. Um, That won't be good for teaching. Uh, Come with an open mind if you don't believe in eternal security. And I think that justifiably, the scripture shows us no doubt that there are scriptures if taken, and watch my words here, if taken out of context and not looking. Scripture is kind of like Christians. Christians, Bob, sharpen Christians, right? Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. We need each other. I need Paul. He needs me. We need Johnny. We get sharper. Scripture does the same thing. If you don't compare it to Scripture, you can't take Matthew 13 and not look at Revelation 3 if it's the same subject. You have to look at all of it. And I'm going to do my very best next week to do that because I believe in the doctrine once saved, always saved. But I absolutely agree that you can look at it from different angles and say, no, no, no. This scripture says this. I know that. So we're going to look at it and we're going to do what Ravi Zacharias would say and what all these apologetics would say. And of course, I'm going to read you some big names that are on both sides of the aisle so you'll know kind of where it's at. I just believe that when you start getting outside of faith and grace, you've walked outside the wrong door. And why I say that, and just giving you an introduction, is the fact that when you start telling me that, that, that if I get saved, I can walk out of that, you start to put it on me as opposed to on Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on next week. So bring someone with you. Hopefully, we'll have our 70 or 80 or whatever we have here next week. Maybe not. We we might still have some people on vacation, but let's be dismissed. Father, thank you for this group of people. Bless them today. Help us to be the church scattered and help us to fill up one bottle at a time like Andrew did. Thank you for the story of Andrew, Lord. Thank you for these people's patience. Thank you for changing my message to what you wanted it to be. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help me to ponder back on this in times of need. In Jesus' name.